Citizen Reporter number 382, 27th of June, 2011. When they talk about welfare, they always talk about personal responsibility, personal responsibility. But when it comes to their actions, who takes responsibility? Hardly anybody at all. What you call not just moral inconsistency, that's what you call unadulterated hypocrisy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about poverty, but more specifically, perceptions of poverty, how people think about, talk about uh, poverty in their own countries, in their own regions. And to properly do this, uh, we're looking at people who are researching this topic, who have been researching this topic for some time. And with us on the line now is Armando Barrientos, professor and research director at the Brooks World Poverty Institute. He is also a senior researcher with the Chronic Poverty Research Center, leading research on insecurity, risk, and vulnerability. Good afternoon, Armando. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So this is a topic, you know, you don't see it in the the newspaper, definitely not on the front pages, um, but I, I feel like it has tremendous impact and, and perhaps you could get into that a little bit uh, uh, first of all when you the research that you do in terms of poverty perceptions um, why is this important because I can imagine someone asking themselves as they listen why well what um, the motivation I had in doing this research was that um, if you um, if you look over the last sort of 10 15 years or so uh, our kind of um, our world is becoming much more globalized and, and poverty uh, in other countries is becoming much more closer to, to, to every one of us. For example, we turn our news um, and, and we find that um, there are kind of um, um, issues with poverty and, and displacement and, and destitution in other parts of the world. And to some extent, we, we, we share this, uh, that, that experience through the medium of the, of the news. But um, at, at the sort of more... Um, uh, I guess um, analytical or theoretical level, one could say that um, to, to an extent the poverty that we see on our newscasts um, is, um, is partly to do with what we do uh, in our everyday life and the way in which um, our economies work, which have implications to, uh, to, for other countries. So uh, in, that, in that kind of a spirit, I was trying to see whether uh, if, for example, we had um, um, a world um, government, or if we had uh, a world organization, whether the, the um, attitudes that people have and the um, uh, understandings of poverty that people had would be shared across uh, a number of countries. And, and that is why we looked at um, a, a particular data set which um, provides uh, information um, from respondents in different countries as to their perception support. And what's interesting about this kind of research is some people might think that it's about uh, uh, data based on reality or facts, but in fact what you're looking at is not always 
reflecting the statistics. What people say about poverty doesn't mean it is what's actually happening. No, that is true. And uh, um, particularly on, on the one aspect that we focused on our research, because I, I guess we all um, have an understanding of poverty. We probably have experiences, experiences of poverty, or we, we have read about it, or we have read novels about it, and so on and so forth. But the particular issue that interests me was this, uh, whether uh, people's perceptions of poverty, whether poverty was simply a transitory um, uh, uh, phenomenon, something that sort of comes and goes, or, or, or whether poverty involved people being poor for long periods of time, whether people had a perception that they were escape routes out of poverty. And I think that is, that is very, very important. Uh, if you if you have, for example, a country in which the rate of poverty or the proportion of the population in poverty at one point in time was, say, 5% or 10%, in a sense, if, if that experience of poverty was distributed equally across all the citizens of that, that country, uh, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be so much of an, uh, of an issue. But if, if there are 5% of people in a particular country that are poor all the time, then that is much more of a problem. So we're interested to see whether the perceptions that people had about the duration of poverty, uh, where that poverty was simply a short-term short thing or, or was much more of a long-term um, kind of um, experience, and, 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 and whether it was easy to escape from it. Let's talk a bit about how the research was done. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the, the article uh, which talks about the research Attitudes to Chronic Poverty in the Global Village. Um, it, this was 50 countries. How did, how did you choose, how did you go about uh, choosing the countries? Well, we didn't have much choice on the choice of countries. We, um, we, we did uh, an extensive search for um, databases of, um, uh, of uh, surveys of attitudes to uh, lots of different things. And we tried to find surveys that asked respondents about their perceptions of poverty. In fact, we could only find one single uh, survey, which was done um, in between 1994 and 1998, and it was put together under the World Values Survey, which is um, um, uh, 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 an, inst an institution, a network that is trying to put together sort of attitudinal surveys from different countries. And there was only one instance where the same question about poverty um, had been um, employed in all the different surveys in all the different countries. So that, that enabled us to make comparisons and put, put all these responses together and see, and see how um, individuals in different countries felt um, uh, about poverty. Now, um, that is in itself a, a finding, I guess, uh, because uh, it's interesting that there is only one single survey and it's probably kind of um, dated in the sense that 1994 to 98 seems like a long time to us, but that is the only kind of source of data that we had. Now, within that, um, the, the, this kind of survey was organized the following way, that in, in each of the countries, uh, they um, randomly selected um, between one and 2,000 respondents, and uh, they were contacted by different means, in some cases on the phone, uh, other cases by, um, in person, and they were asked a, a number of questions. One of them was, 
you know, do you think that poverty, uh, uh, do you think that it's, it's, it's difficult to escape from poverty? And that was the question that we picked. So that w once we, we had to kind of go with that particular data set, then we had 50 countries that we could, uh, that we could interrogate. So um, the, 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 there is an issue there also in terms of the uh, distribution of the countries. There were only two, for, for example, from Sub-Saharan Africa. There were no countries from the Middle East. Um, and North Africa, and uh, so the distribution of the countries is perhaps biased towards uh, sort of middle-income and high-income countries. Yeah, that was one of my questions as I was reading, and I've been reading different research. I always wonder, I wonder how many poor people, for example, are in the research. But you do take into account aspects of uh, the personal, the person's uh, uh, situation, financially, background. These factors do play into it, right? Yes, that is true. But uh, the, the the problem with this particular survey is that the information on income, for example, is not um, is not very um, uh, it's not kind of clear enough for us to sort of use it effectively. I mean, people are are are, for example, the respondents in many countries uh, were asked to locate themselves whether they were kind of on the on low incomes, on higher incomes, on middle incomes. Mm. which wasn't really good enough to be able to get uh, a handle on that, uh, on the impact of income levels on perceptions of poverty. But we, what we did find was that if you, if you look at occupational um, characteristics of people, and, and of course, you know, there are, as we know, professionals are usually well paid, um, and then you have students and retired people who are not so well paid. So that gave, that gave us a, a, a means by which we could interrogate um, our data set. From, the, from that particular dimension. I was looking at the different graphs that, that have been included, and uh, one of the things I try to look for is, does the perception of poverty uh, you know, this, in, in this period of time have anything to do with the economic situation? And I ask myself this in the larger uh, scale of the, the world and time. Uh, if the economy is bad, are people tougher on the poor in their opinion? You know, are they, are they more condemning or, or do they see it more as a system? Uh, have you been able to see any real relationship between bad economy, bad global economy, and negative perception of the poor and the situation of the poor? Um, no, we, we didn't. We didn't. We weren't able to uh, look at that very closely. I mean, ideally, uh, f to kind of answer the, that kind of question, one would need to have um, survey data that spans for a, for a particular group of respondents that spans a, a period of time, so for four or five or six years, um, and, and we just don't have that. But. Um, there are some kind of uh, insights that come from the findings in the research. For example, the, the one kind of region of the world which seemed to be almost out of step with, with everyone else in terms of their perceptions of how easy it is to escape poverty was um, East Asia. Um, and to, to a lesser extent, South Asia. In East Asia, um, respondents said, yes, it's, um, it's not difficult to escape from poverty. So that they, they tended to see poverty as something really transient, some kind of temporary you know, situation that you find yourself in. But you know, there are ways in which you can climb out of that mm. particular situation. Now, um, it's interesting that the data is for 94, 98, but as we know, the 97 financial crisis affected um, East Asian countries to, to a huge extent. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if you if, if we were able to do the same work, but take data which came after '97 uh, financial crisis. The, the responses we would have got that are, are, are very different. Mm. And, and another way in which you can see that in that uh, countries from East Asia that had very little. Um, programs or policies that were addressing the needs of people in poverty before 97, uh, they have all sort of moved ahead uh, from that point in, in, in trying to kind of introduce kind of um, especially programs that provide direct transfers to poor people and, and, and families in poverty. So they, they have, as it were, become much more like the rest of the world in the way in which they see poverty. Yeah. So it's not necessarily regional. I mean, that that much becomes clear, uh, at least from this study. Uh, it doesn't matter what country you come from necessarily. Uh, and just to repeat uh, for, for for people who are listening, the relationship there is in the 90s, East Asia ec economically was doing quite well. And people, people's opinion, at least in this data, was that you could get out of poverty if you really wanted to, or it is possible anyway. Uh, and that may or may not have changed as the economy now has, has gotten worse in East Asia. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it seems to me that, that when, when you have uh, a crisis like the financial crisis that we have been experiencing um, in, in most uh, certainly high-income countries since um, two, 2008, um, you do have a, a greater kind of perception that poverty is a problem, uh, certainly among the public, among, among, the, among the media. And that is because our experience of poverty becomes closer. We have, we have uh, families, relatives, someone we know that who's made, been made unemployed or who is finding it really hard to make ends meet. So that kind of experiential factor is really important in people's perceptions of poverty. But the issue is that uh, how that experience of poverty translate into actual political decisions by the by the government, governing elites, and that is really where it's, it, our research didn't address that particular issue. Although we have some discussion of that, um, it seems to me that if people um, have a greater or closer experience of poverty, they are more likely to uh, vote for um, political parties or politicians who are going to do something about poverty. I was, uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. It's okay. Well, I was looking at a, a study, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it was done by uh, Dory, I believe his last name was, and it, or was it an article, but it was talking about the case of England, and I'm bringing this up also because you're, you're based some of the time in, in Manchester. Um, perhaps a unique case in Europe, but strangely, I, I saw information such as uh, the subsidies and the, the, the amount of money spent on... Uh, things programs for the poor have decreased over time uh, in the last say ten uh, to twenty years, and the opinion that the poor get too much from the government from social programs has risen so there we see a strange juxtaposition, which is uh, yeah people perceive that the poor get too much, and in reality they 're not getting as much as they used to anyway. Oh, oh yes, I mean, and, and I think that, that applies to a number of uh, different contexts. I mean, I, 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 I remember a study that was done in the United States, for example, uh, where people were asked how much did the whole proportion of GDP the government gave in aid to poor countries. And I think they came up with something like 10, 15 percent. 
But mm. uh, the, actual, the actual share of GDP that the U.S. contributes to international aid is, is really marginal. It's, it's less than, uh, I, I think it's less than, certainly less than one half or one percent to GDP. So there is, um, the, the, there is a mismatch between the perceptions that people have about um, the, the lives of people in poverty, uh, especially in, in, in high-income countries, because to on top of the kind of differences between families that are in poverty and families that have a job or are middle class or are upper class, you have the issue of migration too, because um, to, to a large extent in European countries, um, acute poverty or deprivation is much closer to the experience of migrants. And so, you, you, you know, there is that, that element too that plays, plays in here. And I think migration is, it might be, might be the issue that explains uh, that, that mismatch that you're discussing. I mean, in Scandinavian countries, Central European countries, they have all tightened up their um, sort of welfare uh, provision because of the concern that, you, that that welfare provision was acting as a kind of magnet for, 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 for migration in, into the country. Yeah. So that, that is a possible explanation, because that's definitely what I was asking myself and what a lot of people will ask. That next question is always, why the disconnect? What, what is going on in the world that, even though reality says otherwise, why do people think that the poor are, are benefiting so much and so on? So that, that is one possible explanation, the, the migration patterns. And, and can, I, can I say that if in developing countries, the situation is exactly the opposite. I mean, if you look at a country like Brazil, for instance, um, now Brazil has managed to um, um, take considerable steps in reducing poverty. Poverty has declined from around 30%, say, 15 years ago, to less than 15% today. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a really huge step in poverty reduction. And, and what has happened there is that uh, poverty has come to the top of the policy agenda, to the political agenda, so that um, it, it is said that, for example, the, the second term of President Lula, when he was re-elected into office, to a large extent it was uh, because of people's approval of his effectiveness in addressing poverty. Um, and that is, uh, is interesting, because it, 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 it's, it's very different in, in, in kind of high-income countries and certainly European countries. In developing countries, um, uh, governments and, and political parties and political elites that address the issue of poverty seem to get much greater uh, po uh, political support. Um, and, and poverty and, and social issues are becoming much more important in terms of, in, in terms of internal domestic policy discussions and, and also within the political cycle. Hmm. And, and that would be because, I mean, the people who are voting remember know what it's like to be poor is that because now it makes me wonder what happens if you survey in brazil opinions and perception about poverty will people say it's something that's chronic and and systemic so something should be done yes that's right i mean if, if um, there was there was another kind of set of questions that we we didn't um we explored but they're actually not reported in this particular paper, where uh, we consider whether people felt that there was, um, the governments were doing enough to address poverty. And, and the answer in most um, developing countries was that the government was not doing enough. Um, and, and in some cases, the, the response was that the government was very ineffective in addressing poverty. Um, mm -hmm. in, in, interestingly, in, in developed countries, 
um, there is a there is a connection between um, the perceptions that people have about the effectiveness of government and their support for um, aid to developing countries. So in countries where the, the, the governments are considered to be reasonably effective and competent, people are quite happy to uh, provide uh, international aid. They think that it's going to be well spent. Whereas in countries which are not um, considered to be uh, effective and, and competent, then people are reluctant to see um, you know, their, uh, the, the, some of their taxes going into international aid. And I think the crucial case here is the United States. Mm. Um, because there, there is um, a reluctance uh, and, and really a, a probably a, 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 a misunderstanding of the effectiveness of international aid on the one hand. Uh, but that is partly because people don't see their governments uh, as being as effective or as competent, uh, as we know from all the kind of press uh, yeah. around the, um, the, the discussions between, between Congress and the current administration there. Yeah, and as you say that, I start thinking about all the countries in the world, or in Europe, for example, where people are feel that their government is not effective, or, or you know, there's a, I think there's a lull in the, the opinion that the governments are are doing well, and and um, I see a negative connection in the future for anyone who's who's hoping for uh, aid and uh, programs for the poor. Uh, what about religion? I'm sure many people would want to know and would look for religion as. Um, reflecting how people perceive the poor it seems like some religions uh, have the philosophy anyway that you know you pull yourself up you do it yourself god will not do it for you and so on and then the others have more of a you must help the poor i grew up a portuguese catholic and it was you help the poor you give money to the poor does religion have a major impact on how at least certain these in these 50 countries for example um how people perceive and and address the poor Unfortunately, that, that is a very interesting um, uh, question, but we, we could not uh, pursue it with the, with the data that we have available. Um, the, um, the question on, on, on religion and, and faith uh, was not uh, consistent ac across all the different countries, so it was impossible to get some kind of measure of that. Mm. Um, what we did do was to look at um, other um, variables that gave us an indication about people's values. For example, we are, um, th there is a question about whether people perceive that inequality is, is, a, is, is, is an issue, is, is a problem. Um, we also um, looked at the issue of left to right kind of political views. Um, and those kind of give some indication of the impact of people's values on their perceptions of poverty. And, and generally, basically, people who, f who are against poverty are also in favor of doing more for the poor. Um, usually to the center-left of the political spectrum, you also get much greater support for the view that, that you know, it's, it is difficult to escape poverty, so governments must be much more proactive. But it was not, um, uh, it was not possible to look at the issue of religion. As you say, the, the, there is um, um, there is quite a kind of uh, um, uh, interesting literature looking at uh, at the impact of uh, different or, or different religions on people's um, contribution for the poor. For example, Islamic countries um, tend to have a, 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 a zakat, which is um, basically a, a tax uh, which is used then by um, um, to distribute to uh, people who are deprived. 
Um, for example, in, I think in, in, in Pakistan, where I, I, I've kind of done some research, the zakat is around 2% of um, um, financial balances, and that is usually collected um, on the first day of Ramadan. And that is used by there, by the Ministry of Religious Affairs, to kind of um, redistribute to people who are in, uh, deprived. There is, also, there is one issue though, there is one kind of um, downside that perhaps limits the effectiveness of these, um, uh, of, of these strategies. And, and, um, yeah, and that is A, that sort of, in, for example, in Pakistan, the Ministry of Religious Affairs doesn't, doesn't need to be evaluated, as you would expect, you know. They are mm -hmm. the Ministry of Religious Affairs, they, don't, they are not subject to kind of budget reporting and so on and so forth, like any other parts of government. Um, and also the, the, the thing that um, the, uh, uh, the kind of these types of funds from the Sakat um, only kind of cover some members of the population who are in that particular religious um, 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 you know set. So so it, it doesn't sort of cover, they don't have the kind of universality that um, that say welfare states in European countries have. Uh, Armando, I'm I'm curious now. Uh, outside of the article and in the work that you're probably doing currently, uh, do you foresee a, a major crisis in the world when it comes to, and it's you know it, some of it comes from how people perceive the poor, but when it comes to what is done or not done or how poverty is addressed uh, in, in the world in the near future, do you see a, a something especially bad coming? Um. Um, in fact, the opposite. I mean, all the, the research that uh, myself and other colleagues at the Institute have done uh, suggests that there are very positive uh, news to give on, on that particular score. If you, um, if you use, for example, the World Bank um, uh, definition of poverty as uh, people living um, on less than $1 a day, uh, that is the $1 a day poverty line, then um, if, you, if you estimate that in developing countries, that gives you a figure of about 1.4 billion. So the, today there are 1.4 billion people living on less than $1 a day. It's a very significant problem. Mm -hmm. It's a very significant issue. Now, um, if, you, if you increase that poverty line, because, it, you know, I, I guess uh, anybody listening to the program will probably find Try to imagine living on less than one dollar a day. Right. So, if you use a two dollar a day, then you're looking at, at in excess of two billion people living on less than two dollars a day. Now, the, the the interesting thing is that there has been for for the last ten years or so uh, a, a commitment on the part of the international community um, to address um, poverty in the world. So, the Millennium Development Goals. Uh, which were agreed by um, most governments, most multilateral organizations and bilateral organizations, uh, are committed to reducing by one half um, the, uh, the, the, the number of people in the world who live on less than one dollar a day. And there is some progress to be, to be reported on that. Um, what is, um, what is happening in many um, developing countries is that they are establishing um, um, transfers, um, transfer programs, and other types of programs that are, are provide direct assistance to people in poverty. 
Um, I, I mentioned Brazil earlier, for example, Brazil has a, a program called Bolsa Familia that provides a direct monthly transfer to families living on, um, uh, on, 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 on sort of very low incomes. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at countries like China or India, India, for example, has introduced in 2005 a National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme that provides guaranteed one, 100 days employment for um, unemployed heads of households in rural areas. And, and if you look at most developing countries, even the very low income ones, they are looking at ways uh, to kind of provide direct transfers to uh, people in poverty. At uh, Manchester, we run a, a database of all these programs, um, um, and we, we estimate that between three quarters and one billion people in, in, in the world today are being supported in this way. Of course, you know, in some, some, in some countries, the, the support is very, very small. In, if you are, for example, a very poor um, older, um, uh, old, older woman in, in Bangladesh, you might get, say, $2 a day. Whereas if you are a poor older woman in South Africa, you might get $70 a day. So that it varies from country to country. But the, the, the kind of interesting and the, and the positive story is that um, between three quarters and one billion people uh, in the world today receive some form of direct transfer from their governments. And that, and that will have a very significant impact on poverty reduction in the future. Hmm. So regardless of the perceptions and the surveys, uh, some good news, at least in the developing world, um, I'm glad to hear it, actually. Uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, as we wind down today, uh, people could find um, the Institute as well as a list of your publications is also included on the website. And that you can find just by searching for the Brooks World Poverty Institute, Brooks, just as it sounds, B-W-P-I is the acronym. And um, that's one place people can go. Uh, is there any other recommendations for resources online for people who want to track and follow not just research, but perhaps uh, information about poverty and poverty perception? Uh, yes, I mean, the, most of the um, international organizations, but particularly UNICEF and the ILO, uh, if, you, if, you, if you look into their websites, they have uh, extensive information on poverty. Uh, UNICEF is particularly important because the majority of people who are in poverty in the world are children. Uh, something like three quarters of people in poverty in the world. The, the 1.4 billion that I, I spoke to um, uh, earlier, um, they are children. So UNICEF, the World Bank, are, are really good sources for, of information on, on, on poverty. And of course the Millennium Development Goals, which are tracking the, um, the, the, kind of the efforts of the international community in addressing poverty in the world. The Millennium Development Goals uh, website is also quite, quite useful. Okay. Armando Barrientos, thank you so much. Um, I definitely want to speak with you again, as too often the issue of poverty is talked about for one moment and then left alone for, for too long. So let's speak again. And uh, in the meantime, thanks so much for taking the time today. Well, thanks for coming in.
Do do do. 